Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. In multiple episodes, I have told you about people who have been put on death row or who have been sentenced to life in prison who are actually innocent. And for a hot minute, this guy, James Duckett, he was a rookie police officer in Mascot, Florida. That's in Lake County near Orlando. It was thought that this guy, he was put on death row for the death of an 11-year-old girl, that he didn't do it. I'm James Arden Duckett, and we are currently at Florida State Prison in Stark. I'm sentenced to death, so I am currently on death row. Been here since June 30th, 1988. But not so fast. James Duckett was the only police officer on patrol the night of May 11th in 1987. And this was in Mascot, Florida. And Teresa Maccabee's mother reported her daughter missing at midnight because the child had walked to a convenience store near her home to buy a pencil to do her homework at about 10 o'clock at night. And she never returned. She told me she had to do her math homework and she didn't have a pencil. And I remember I kept telling her no, because I didn't want her to leave the house. And she said, but mom, it won't take but five minutes. So, so I finally said, yeah. And she left. Her mother reported her missing about midnight. This reminds me of my full rigor episode number 16, Digging for Little Christy Luna, a 35-year-old cold case in which the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office recently dug for the remains of an 8-year-old girl in Green Acres, Florida. She disappeared in 1984. Christy Luna was last seen buying cat food at a grocery store 400 feet from her house. In this case, the convenience store where little Teresa Maccabee went to buy her pencil was about 2,000 yards from her house. Very close. But unfortunately, there were a number of child predators who lived near Christy Luna, and the dig for Christy Luna's bones last year came up empty. So in this case, the body of Teresa Maccabee, she was a fifth grader at Mascot Elementary, and she walked to the store to buy the pencil for her homework. Well, it was finally found. It surfaced in the shallows of Knight Lake on the morning of May 12th. She had been strangled to death. Well, quickly, all evidence began to point to one person, this police officer who was on duty in Mascot that night, rookie cop James Duckett. And there were key pieces of evidence against Duckett. That's why they zeroed in on him right away. The tire tracks from his squad car were found at the scene where the body was located. Testimony from an expert about a single hair that was found in Teresa's panties said that that hair belonged to Duckett. And then the girl's fingerprints were on the hood of Duckett's cruiser, facing backward like she was sitting on the hood. And they were intermingled with his fingerprints. So let me set the stage for you. About 10 o'clock that night, the 11-year-old walked to the convenience store just a few hundred yards away from her home. She wanted to buy a pencil and she wanted to finish her homework. And after leaving the store, she stopped to talk to a 16-year-old boy outside the convenience store. So Officer Duckett had arrived at the convenience store shortly after and he saw the two talking and he asked the store clerk the age of Teresa Maccabee. And he approached Maccabee and the boy. And after a brief conversation, Duckett told Maccabee to go home, leaving the boy to wait there alone for his uncle. So when the boy's uncle arrived, the boy and his uncle 
say that they witnessed Maccabee getting into the passenger side of Duckett's patrol car, making him the last person to see her alive. So at 11 o'clock, Maccabee's mother walked to the convenience store looking for her daughter. The store clerk told her that Maccabee left with Officer Duckett and was probably at the mascot police station. When the mother got to the mascot police station, nobody was there. So she drove to nearby Groveland's police station where she reported her daughter missing. So a Groveland police officer contacted a mascot police officer and guess who shows up? Duckett arrives at the Groveland police station within 20 minutes. Duckett used a picture of Maccabee to make a flyer that he said he would post at convenience stores in the area, but he never did it. He never posted it. Now, the store clerk reported the police drove by the store every hour, but she reported that Duckett came by at 9.30, but did not return for a few hours. And additionally, Duckett made no radio calls between 9.50 p.m. and 12.10 a.m. Large window of opportunity. But he later said that he drove around Night Lake looking for her after the mother summoned police, and that's why his tire tracks distinctive snow treads were found there. Yes, we do get some snow in Florida, especially in North Florida. And medical testimony demonstrated she was sexually assaulted while alive and then drowned. Other people said she was strangled, so I'm not clear on that. So blood and pubic hair later identified as probable matches to Duckett were also found in her underpants and semen was found on her jeans. Also at trial, three girls between the ages of 17 and 19 testified that in the six months prior to the murder, Duckett had given rides to each of them and had made sexual advances. One of the girls said that she did participate in sex acts with Duckett. Now, he remains on death row, even though the FBI admitted in 2015 that one of their FBI experts and his crew went beyond what the science would support and that they found errors in most analyses and testimony. In addition, though, Duckett had stated that the victim never sat on the hood of his car, but both Duckett's and Teresa's fingerprints were discovered on the hood of Duckett's patrol car. Pretty damning evidence. But still, it didn't stop two very qualified people from thinking for a hot minute that he was innocent, that he was an innocent man on Florida's death row. A crime novelist, Frank Marshall, he was a retired Miami-Dade homicide captain. He had supervised 3,000 murder investigations, recently thought that death row inmate James Duckett was innocent. It's like a mosaic. You get a little piece of this tile, a little piece of that tile, a little piece of that tile, you put them all together, you get a picture. And the picture was innocent. He contacted James Duckett for an interview, and Duckett granted it. He, he reached out to me, said, I'm a retired detective from the Miami Police Department. He said, I want to help you out. I want to see what your case is. I, I told him that I walked in this building scared to death as a young man never been inside a prison, never been in any trouble before. And here I am going to death row. I had a career going. I had a beautiful wife. I had two young sons. I had a future that I was moving towards. And all of that was taken for no reason, except to satisfy somebody's idea that I was the one that did this. That's what James Duckett told Death Row Stories. So when he started talking with Duckett, he started hearing all kinds of things that made him think that Duckett was innocent. Initially, he thought the jury got it wrong for a number of reasons. Duckett had an alibi, he said. The jury never heard about it. It was in his logbook. So 
Marshal Frank got a hold of that logbook. It had been confiscated when they confiscated his patrol car. And there was a notation in his logbook that put him at another scene at the time of Maccabee's disappearance. But upon further inspection, it looked like that notation was added after the fact, sort of as a CYA. Also, pubic hair. The FBI said match ducats was actually indistinguishable. By the way, in addition to all of that... Duckett was accused of sexually assaulting her. One of the things that troubled me a lot is that the prosecution was saying that the pubic hair inside her panties was from the killer, but it wasn't uncommon for Teresa to put her mommy's panties on. So maybe that pubic hair was already there in those panties. So that hair could have belonged to anyone as well as the semen. The FBI said that that hair was consistent with Duckett, but the FBI hair analyst, Mike Malone, was found to exaggerate, which I'm going to get to in a moment. More on Malone in a moment. The hair could not be identified to anybody. Also ensnared in the possibility that Duckett was innocent on death row was Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter, Miami Herald crime reporter, Edna Buchanan. And she got involved. It basically ruined her credibility. She thought that Duckett was also innocent and wrote several articles about it. He was saying 115% sure this guy's innocent. So it didn't seem likely. But so many cases in Miami and in South Florida and in the whole state, you know, sometimes it's like the twilight zone and Rod Serling is the governor. You never just say it can't be because often it is. And then realize that they got it wrong. And Frank eventually said, I feel like such a damn fool. It's emotional. The revelation is shattering me. Frank said he not only thinks Duckett killed Maccabee, but notes that Polk County detectives suspect Duckett in the murder of a 14-year-old girl last seen walking on U.S. 98 north of Lakeland. The Polk County connection happened while Duckett was a suspect in Teresa's murder, was fired from the police department, and was working as a night shift laborer at a phosphate mine in Polk County for about seven and a half bucks an hour. That's when somebody murdered 14-year-old Jennifer Weldon. Jennifer was last seen September 19, 1987. She was walking home alone on US 98, just north of Lakeland, returning from a carnival. She carried a lime green shopping bag that contained a stuffed animal. Police say Duckett drove that same route to work where her body was found. It was decomposed about October 2nd in a remote region of the county near the phosphate mine where, of course, Duckett worked. Gasoline receipts placed Duckett close by. The night of the murder, he arrived at work disheveled and two hours late. When the girl's body was found, her green shopping bag and stuffed toy were missing. Which, by the way, later on, Duckett's wife said he returned home with a green shopping bag with one stuffed animal inside, which she thought was weird because they had two sons. Also, a teenage girl told Polk County detectives of a frightening encounter with Duckett. He had offered her a ride home, but instead took her to a remote trailer where he became sexually aggressive. The girl, thinking quickly, told him a whole bunch of people, know that I'm with you, quote unquote. With that, he took her home, and the trailer was three miles from where Jennifer Weldon's corpse was found years later. Marshall Frank said that when he asked Duckett about the Weldon case during his death row interview, he looked down at the ground for 45 seconds without eye contact. And almost exactly a year before Teresa's death, an eerily similar murder happened in Polk County, May 7, 1986. 
A petite, still unidentified young woman was found fully clothed, floating face down in a water-filled pit off State Road 33 near Lakeland. She, too, had been strangled. She was 5 feet 2 inches tall, reddish hair, blue to hazel eyes. Her clothing, jewelry, and tattoos were distinctive. She wore an aqua blue shirt and jeans and a belt that was made of red and blue ribbons with beads and feathers tied to the ends. Bells were tied to the laces of her tennis shoes. Police still hope that this woman will be identified and her murder solved. A girl who looked like the victim was last seen getting into a dark blue car. And guess what? Duckett drove a royal blue Buick Regal at that time. Now, getting back to expert witnesses, that special agent Michael P. Malone that I told you about with the FBI, he became notorious as an unreliable and unethical expert witness. Malone's conduct was first exposed by famed FBI whistleblower Dr. Frederick Whitehurst. He now heads the National Whistleblower Center's Forensic Justice Project. Dr. Whitehurst first revealed the widespread corruption at the FBI crime lab back in 1993 when he, too, was a lab employee. Whitehurst charged that Malone and other FBI crime lab employees were not only manufacturing evidence to support prosecutors, but were engaged in providing perjury trial testimony. Malone had a profitable sideline as an expert witness whose testimony favored prosecutors. The single pubic hair found in Teresa's panties, which were really her mother's panties, was the sole piece of critical physical evidence that Malone said matched Duckett. While another FBI expert testified it was completely indistinguishable from one of the 30 samples taken from Duckett. The Justice Department's Inspector General later nailed Agent Michael Malone for lying on the witness stand and for submitting scientifically flawed reports in 18 high-profile cases, including O.J. Simpson's, the Oklahoma City bombing, and the case of John Hinckley, who shot President Ronald Reagan, and of course, police officer Duckett. The Justice Department notified prosecutors in 263 Florida cases, including Duckett's, that Malone had done shoddy work, misrepresented evidence, and in some cases lied. But prosecutors declined to retry Duckett. And now the chain of evidence has become so convoluted as prosecutors shop for a hair expert. Batches of test hairs were lost, mislabeled, found, lost again, and retaken. So right now there's no confidence that the single hair is actually the right one. So there have been lingering questions about Duckett's innocence, but he remains on death row to this day. Now, speaking of falsified evidence, let's move on to the missing persons cold case of Carol Baskin's second husband, Don Lewis. The plot thickens on this one. I did a previous podcast on this story as well. Now, remember how I told you that a spouse cannot change a will or power of attorney after their spouse is declared dead. Well, a handwriting expert has been brought in to examine Don Lewis's will and power of attorney that Carol, remember, allegedly found inside his locked office after his disappearance. The expert, handwriting expert, maintains that the signatures, including the notaries, were traced from Don Lewis's marriage license. Notary Sandra Whitcop, whose signature is on Don Lewis's will, leaving control of the late millionaire's assets to his widow, of course, Tiger King's star, Carol Baskin, claims that she has no recollection of signing the document. I don't remember at all, she says. She said that she was the housekeeper, and Florida law doesn't require notaries to retain recordings or journals of their acts. Journals are only required when electronic notarizations are involved. 
According to the handwriting expert, the documents in the Lewis case appear very suspicious. Remember, her husband disappeared. He was on his way out of town and his truck was found at the airport. And police now think that he was pushed out of a plane that he was taking a test flight in over the Gulf of Mexico where his body was never found. Furthermore, law enforcement says that the statute of limitations for forgery has since passed, meaning that anyone who had forged Whitcop's name back then could no longer be prosecuted. So keep you up to date on the Tiger King story and Carol Baskin, who's now making masks out of leopard print to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus. She's selling them at her big cat ranch in Tampa. Now, another update on the shooting death of Ahmaud Aubrey, that black jogger who was shot in broad daylight in Georgia by the son of a former cop, both white. They were apparently following him because they thought he was a thief. There was a video of Aubrey before his death walking around a construction site, but police say he didn't do anything illegal and may have been looking just to get a drink of water. And as you know, there's video evidence of his shooting. In fact, there's more video that's been found. It was shot by a third man who was following the other two who were both charged with felony murder, even though the son fired the fatal shots. Now, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation has arrested 50-year-old William Bryan Jr. on charges of felony murder and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. He's got gray hair and he's kind of got like a bowl cut with strange bangs. He's a very weird looking guy. He says he's not that bright. He's not very highly educated. Well, the two other suspects who are also white are charged with the murder of Aubrey as well, who was shot and killed while jogging in Georgia back in February. So we'll keep you up to date on that story as well. Looks like the police really dropped the ball on that because these three were not arrested until months after the shooting. That wraps up Full Rigor. I'm Karen Curtis. Thanks for listening. Peloton, let's go. This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.